Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. beautiful morning it's sunday morning the 17th of december and chelsea football club have won a game of football yay granted i think we all probably expected it but it was made even sweeter by the fact that england won in the cricket yesterday as well a beautiful beautiful weekend so far um i'm joined by tom curly tom how are we doing my man yeah i'm really good nick i'm uh, blessed to have got a game where chelsea actually won um I don't think my record actually is, is is too bad. I can't remember the last time I came on, but I know that oh, other scrappy guests... wins, Tom. It is normally scrappy wins, so this it's... was this was a slight upgrade on scrappy. Yeah, I mean a clean sheet as well. I, I tend not to come on after clean sheets. I mean, I know other of your guests that pointed out in the replies to your tweet were haven't been as fortunate about getting victories. So uh, I feel I feel blessed. I do feel blessed. Indeed, indeed. it's uh, it's just the way that. The schedule falls, etc. Um, as always, do guests, I get them to give themselves a plug. So, Tom, tell people where they can find you and all your stuff. Yeah, so mainly on Twitter at TomCody49, and also for all my written work, uh, that's at Football London, uh, football.london, writing about mainly Chelsea, but little bits of Tottenham and Arsenal. Uh, and be working tonight, so there'll be some reaction to the game going up there later on as well. Um, lots of Conor Gallagher prop, really. Uh, that's that's mainly my first use. And the second thing is uh, shit posting about cricket. So, uh, yeah, similarities. Lovely, lovely stuff. Tom's links will be in the description below. Right, yeah, yesterday Chelsea took on Sheffield United and won 2-0. It means Maurizio Pochettino at 86% has a higher win rate against promoted sides than any other manager in Premier League history to take charge of 10 such games, 43 games, 37 wins, and 50% of our Premier League wins this campaign have come against Luton, Burnley, and Sheffield United. Tom, let's get it's... into it. Uh, it was 2-0. I feel 
before we get sort of break down it half by half, I feel that that was really. I don't think I learned much from this game, but I feel that Chelsea did the bare minimum, which was quite nice. Seeing as Chelsea have basically not done the bare minimum in three of the last four weeks, so just getting the bare minimum in terms of performance and result is like I can kind of live with. You know, I'm not going overboard. I'm not going crazy. I'm not celebrating too hard. I'm you know I'm just enjoying the fact that that the Chelsea did the job and it was fairly stress free. Yeah, I mean, good stat, by the way. Like that a lot. Um, it was fine, wasn't it? It was fine. It's a 2-0 home win uh, in a winter schedule uh, against a newly promoted team. It, like, you don't, I don't think it needs to be delved into too much. Um, I think it's the sort of performance that doesn't answer too many of the questions surrounding the team, but I, I, I don't know if it really creates many more questions either. It, it's just a solid enough 2-0 win I mean Sheffield United's two chances came from a long shot in the first half which took a deflection anyway and then a long shot from a free kick in the second half which was going wide before it was saved like they didn't really create anything Chelsea controlled the game pretty much from start to finish and then they really ramped it up in the second half and for about five ten minutes played some really really nice football and won the game like it's just fine it's just fine I know people right now want bigger answers and they want results, scorelines, performances that will make people go, oh yeah, that, that that's great. Um, we can really see where this is going. Well, realistically, if Chelsea put five past Sheffield United, I think a lot of the reaction would have been, oh, well, it is still just Sheffield United. So to me, it doesn't particularly matter. Chelsea won the game. And that's the most important thing. We saw Manchester City yesterday throw away a two-goal lead. We've seen other teams across the board making mistakes, losing games, dropping points. In recent weeks, Chelsea have won it. Let's just let's just move on with it. It's absolutely fine. Newcastle in midweek should be a good game. It's a nice run of fixtures, and this is right now we're working with a squad that is pretty bare bones as well. So you, you have to take wins like this, and really, I don't think it needs overanalyzing. But it's, it's just what we're going to do. So please do keep listening. Yeah, indeed, nothing. Yeah, it bears our stats. Expected goals two point seven five to zero point three seven. Now, granted, I think those bit guys is lifted by Nicholas Jackson's basically practically open net and. Cole Palmer having, you know, a, a, a tap-in. And Breuer still, I think missing is... somehow from on the goal yeah, line. Yeah, Breuer <laughs> missing. But, but still, I think I just kind of tell the tape. But I am going to go into it, Tom, because the first half, and again, checking social media it, it, while the game is going on is always a bad, is always a bad thing to do. But there was a question, a list of questions, but I'll just throw in at the start because we, as we break into it. In the first half, someone asked, is, have you ever seen a worse first half from Chelsea at home? And I'll be honest, Tom, that first half, I didn't, hate anywhere near as much as seemingly a lot of other people did it was not good it was not really great but I still thought in that first half Conor Gallagher and Moises Caicedo were excellent in the midfield and Conor Gallagher you know was actually making things happen just by the way he was you know pressing and winning the ball up high he obviously goes up you know uh intercepts a a Sheffield United pass up and that leads to I think I think Chelsea only shot on goal in the first half or one of them in that shot straight at Fodderingham but also he was getting in positions and I think in general, Tom, we were actually, in the first half, it's not like in other games against sort of low blocks where Chelsea just struggled to get in behind. I think Chelsea were actually getting in behind in that first half. It's just the final ball at various points was wrong. I think, as I said, there's a point where Conor Gallagher sort of plays Sterling in. In the first half, and Sterling just plays like a, you know, makes a bad pass something and the attack dies. But Chelsea were actually in that first half getting in behind, I thought. Probably, you know, weren't still doing enough or as much as people would like. And the second half was obviously a clear improvement on it. But I didn't think that first half was that bad. Like, no, I it mean, was, again, it was like it was fine against a team that had basically just had one idea to play, which was just set up a low block, 
just try, you know, had no real intention of attacking, just try and frustrate us. And yeah, for a period it worked, but I think there were signs of that first half that like we were getting in behind and eventually you'd like to think someone would click. At no point was I ever really worried. No, at no point did that match actually stretch to the situation where I got at all worried. Yeah, I mean, so to answer the, the actual question, and I, I have no actual examples um, on the top of my head, but Chelsea would have been, I mean, Southampton at home last year, James Ward-Prowse, free kick on half-time, losing to the bottom team, probably just as bad as Sheffield United. That feels worse than yesterday when Chelsea were at 0-0 and completely controlling the game. Um, and there will be other games where Chelsea have shipped goals in the first half and and, and have been out of sight. The, the, it was just, it wasn't very inspiring. There weren't many chances. Yeah, I was bored. Don't get me wrong, I was bored. But I also, I wasn't fearful of what was really to, to come. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, you point out, I think Chelsea controlled the game quite well. And when you've got four centre-backs on the pitch and no Enzo Fernandez, it is going to be hard um, to break down a team like this, especially when Chelsea have no confidence. And you know, we know the passage of play. We know that after 10 or 15 minutes, if nothing's happened, Stamford Bridge gets quieter than it is and starts to get a little bit nervy. And the players, we've got a young team here who feel this weight because... They've won about three games at home all year. Um, I mean, Enzo Fernandez didn't play. He just wants to win a home game. That's all he wants to do, right? Um, and 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 you can feel that nervousness building up. You can feel the sort of energy going and the here we go again. Because people had predicted this from the start. Chris Wilder said before the game, our plan is basically to get through the first half an hour, 45 minutes and see what, see what happens. Because that's what you need to do against this Chelsea team. They lacked... People running behind, I think, like, I feel bad, right? Because Dezassi tried to go on a big run in the second half, uh, I think, when Chelsea were tuned up. And I thought, oh, there you go. But he's just a big unit. He's not quick. He's not nimble. He's not able to provide turns to get the ball into the box. He's a centre-back playing at fullback. And if you ask me what I would prefer, and this is sort of veering away from the question, if you ask me what I prefer, I prefer to leave Fernandez and... Gusto and Nkunku all on the bench and have this team play this way to keep building up the fitness of the squad. And I think this is something that Pochettino consistently does. He is basically putting the team before himself. I think if he wanted to appease fans and he wanted to play a more attacking lineup, he absolutely could have, but he would be risking Gusto, who's half fit and has been getting injuries for the last two or three months. He would be risking Nkunku, he'd be risking Enzo Fernandez, who's almost certainly completely burnt out, having played every minute of every game for the last two years for club and country. If you can't rest him against Sheffield United at home with Caicedo and Gallagher, who is still Chelsea's player of the season, and you've got Cole Palmer on the pitch and Raheem Sterling, then, then Chelsea are in bigger trouble than it seems. You can't keep on saying, we need to play this player right now because we need to win the game. Because at some point, it's going to catch up with Chelsea. And I know there's a question about substitutions later on, but I think this is very much a case of Pochettino managing the team rather than playing for himself. Because if he wanted to keep playing for himself, like we've seen other managers do in the past couple of years, it, it does create a bit of a backlog and a bit of a burnout that is really hard to get over. And the counter argument for that is, ah, oh, but Chelsea are still playing once or twice a week. There's no midweek games. It doesn't really matter with this young team. Anyway, that's completely besides the point. Uh, that first half was just, it wasn't inspiring. It was boring, but it was fine. Chelsea were in control of the game. I actually thought, especially Gallagher and Caicedo, recovered the ball incredibly well. And Chelsea's chances almost came from losing the ball and then picking it off their opponents, which is nothing new because it provides the space for Chelsea to run into. Uh, in, 
I find the fascination with, ah, oh, but that first half was terrible. That's a real worry. Quite strange, considering Chelsea made a change, Pochettino made a change, and then won the second half really, really comfortably. But it was a game of two halves, and Chelsea won the game at the end of the day. And I don't think they were ever, like you say, Nick, in danger of losing it. Um, we've seen some drab, drab Chelsea performances over the past year. And I mean, this doesn't stand out, but it, it, it's not one of them. Chelsea won the game for starters and they kept a clean sheet for starters. Like you, you can't have everything every single game, not at the moment anyway. Yeah, no, exactly. And within 15 minutes of the second half, that game was killed off, which we will talk about now. The first goal, Raheem Sterling crosses for Cole Palmer to tap permanent means that Raheem Sterling has been directly involved in 181 goals in the Premier League, 120 goals, 61 assists, the same number as Michael Owen and Dennis Bergkamp. Um, Tom, I don't, to be honest, I don't think Raheem Sterling had his greatest game, but hey, for, for a 15-20 minute period in that second half, he was on it, and that was enough in that time for sort of Chelsea to go through the gears and kill the game off, really. And, you know, it was We'll see better from Raheem Sterling, but again, it was just him popping up when needed. The same the first half, I think Conor Gallagher and Caicedo were the standout players, but in that second half, more players did sub to play. And one of those, Raheem Sterling, I mean, look, he he just does his job very Roy Keeney, but he does his he does his job as an attacker, get get a goal contribution, um, and then obviously Cole Palmer, uh, who scores the opener, sets up Chelsea second. It's a bit of a it's a weird, funny goal. There's a a lot of elements going going on there, you know. Yeah, Conor Gallagher, it, Raheem Sterling, Fodderingham, flapping at a ball, uh, and Nicholas Jackson has the biggest open net. But it meant that the last three instances of a Chelsea player scoring and assisting in a Premier League game: Cole Palmer v Sheffield United, Cole Palmer v Tottenham, Cole Palmer v Burnley, and Cole Palmer's game by numbers v Sheffield United: ninety-two point two percent passing accuracy, eighty-nine touches, five shots, four duels won, two take-ons completed, two chances created, one goal, one assist. Uh, Tom, I said in the first half, I don't really, really saw much from from Palmer. And so, but in the second half, they turned off and they just did, you know, they did what was required. And those two helped kill their game off, along with along with Jackson, who I'll get onto after. Yeah, I, I'm just looking now actually, and um, Palmer and Sterling together have now contributed together for three goals directly, like between each other. Which I think, considering Palmer's played 15 games, and I don't know what about 10 of those have been starts, maybe. Uh, it's quite an impressive record, and. You can tell at times that they are the two people that have been the most coached and the best coached by Guardiola, right? We've seen a lot of old Sterlingisms this season, whether it's getting into the back post or running to the byline. We've seen Palmer just being in the right positions to score goals, which other players, sometimes Nicholas Jackson himself, just they just aren't in the position for. And I think it's noteworthy that in that second half, Sterling makes the most of the positional shift, whether it whether he's playing basically behind Jackson or sort of level with Jackson. I think Potts described it as a 4-4-2. Sterling just sort of took the game for the period that he needed to, won the game for Chelsea, and then that was basically it. That is a little bit Raheem Sterling. He doesn't tend to control games from start to finish throughout. Um, obviously, he did against Manchester City, and he has been pretty impressive this season. But he was good enough. Um, I think, as you say, Gallagher, Caicedo, I think Badia Shield were were probably better performers on the day. But fair play to Sterling for for coming up when Chelsea needed it. That little burst of acceleration, a lovely ball, and Palmer's the man that's there. He is so important to them to Chelsea right now. They're both incredibly important to Chelsea right now. And Sterling played what about three positions in that game: right wing, left wing, potentially striker, maybe even the fourth position behind the striker. It's uh, invaluable when you can do those sorts of things in games. And of our attackers, 
Sterling and Palmer are the two that can be most interchangeable. Um, I mean, Mudrick can't quite hold down a position on the left wing without doing something crazy every couple of seconds. So, it, 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 sorry, can we just honourable edges? That shot is sensational. God. Like that is, it's nice. He does a nice bit of skill, gets past play, and then just he's so far out and he just shoots at the fingers, Tom. It like. The power sort of goes out. It's not like it's one of those that just rises into the, like, goes high into the sound. It sort of just peters. It loses it loses trajectory in flight. It loses energy as the further it travels. It just, like, oh, in, in the end, it just looks such a feeble shot. You saw it coming as well. As soon as he did it in the space opened up, you're like, oh, no, don't shoot. No, don't shoot. You've done really well. There's some nice space to attack into. Do not shoot. Weak foot. No, he's got to do it. Oh, no. What are you doing? Um, potentially the most Michaela Mudrick play we've seen so far. Um, yeah, I, I just think, albeit like, again, like people will point and say a lot of Sterling and Palmer's performances are coming against lower sides in the table. But who else is doing it for Chelsea at the moment? Who else is scoring those goals? Nobody is doing it. You can't. There's a fascination, I think, with belittling what players do and who they do it against. And I think that Chelsea haven't had players doing it against anybody consistently for three, four, five years. So now that they have players doing it, Jackson's in the same camp. Just accept it and be happy about it. Um, because actually, in general, the performances against better sides have been good and strong. So to beat the teams in the bottom half is really, really useful. Because I'm going to go and have a look at last season. And this obviously isn't a benchmark, but we lost home and away to Southampton, bottom of the table. We lost away to Leeds, one at home, scratchily, against... Leeds. I can't remember what we did at home against Leicester last year. I don't remember that game. One, we did the so we beat, Leicester last we beat Leicester home and away last year. One at Goodison on the opening day, but drew at home. Lost to Forest. Did we lose to Forest at home? I can't remember that game. Uh, drew we drew away. both games to Forest last year. We drew both games to Forest last year. Like the record against the bottom five just isn't good. And if you want to look realistically for the buzzword of like progress, Chelsea have now got a better record, albeit. We did lose to the teams in 17th and 16th this season already and then didn't beat Bournemouth, lost to Brentford sort of thing. You have to win. Chelsea are doing pretty well against sides right at the top and right at the bottom. And that is sort of an encapsulation of what Chelsea are. They are inconsistent. They are not reliable. But in Palmer, in Sterling, they have two players that can be really effective when needed um, in moments against good sides and against bad sides when other teams just aren't, other players just aren't. And it's something that right now you just can't take away from the team because it's something that Chelsea don't have. They haven't got the foundation to do things in other ways. Moving forward, if Chelsea get better and really are starting to push on for the top four, then yeah, the questions can start to come about the contributions and where they're coming from. But right now you just basically have to take it for what it is, I think. Yeah, I mean, say Cole Palmer's now six goals, three assists in 15 appearances this season. And I said, you know, this is, yeah, a player who's and, not played a huge amount of football. And he, you know, I said it's also nice that he's now, I mean, you know, he was great when he was scoring penalties, but he's now sort of, you know, his last two goals have been been open yeah. as well. And I said, and people will, you know, degrade, you know, the scoring of opposition, but each Premier League game is worth three points, people. Like, there we go. obviously, you know, some of those games are tricky and some of them are arguably more important in moments, but they're still worth, each, you know, each game is still worth three points no matter who the, the opponent is. We took it all. 
we brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, and so I do want to talk about this. Nicholas Jackson, the curious case of Nicholas Jackson. He's got seven Premier League goals this season. Now, for context, that's one only one less at the time of recording, and I stay at the time of recording because Aston Villa play later today. That's only one less than Ollie Watkins. That's three less than Hung Min Son. It's four less than Mohamed Salah right now. This is a player who is young. In his first season playing in the Premier League, he has already surpassed Timo Werner's best season for Chelsea in the Premier League. He has equal Kajabitz's from last season. Is only one away from equaling Kajabitz's best season in Premier League for Chelsea. Now, at no point am I saying those two are a benchmark. But he's doing all right. Um, it's, it's a weird game. For first half, offsides, you know, maybe not involved. Second half improves a bit and obviously just, you know, gets gets that goal. Nicholas Jackson, I, like, it feels quite weird sort of assessing him because people, because pe- is it, it's so easy to throw caveats. Oh, three of those goals are against nine-man Spurs playing a suicidal high line. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Three of those goals are against the newly promoted sides in Burnley, Luton and, and Sheffield United. Only one of those is against, you know, uh, you know, one of those is the other is obviously that goal against City, I and mean, he's obviously got a goal against Brian Cup. But what well, you're just forcing because yes, he frustrates, but I feel not. I could be wrong. I might just be nabbing a tweet you said here, but I feel you tweeted something yesterday. But he just sort of encapsulates what yeah, his Chelsea absolutely. team is. Absolutely, he shows flashes of brilliance. He is promising. He is frustrating. He is ill-disciplined. We know obviously the yellow card record. He is rash. He sometimes makes you like scratch your head at how he some misses things. He is kind of just the perfect encapsulation of a Chelsea team that are in 10th place, but, you know, showing signs of promise. is doing, doing you know, all right. And then just leaves you questioning a lot of other things. Like, again, just a weird sort of, another weird performance. But he's got a goal. And I feel, Tom, like, you judge strikers on goals. Like, I feel like that's the currency you judge strikers on. It feels quite harsh to sort of, obviously, we like them to have their all-round game to, to have something to it as well. But I think it's time that will come. But, I mean, he's on seven Premier League goals. And, yes, he goes, he'll go away to AFCON soon. But he can still be on course for, say, a 15 15- goal debut season in the Premier League, which has only been achieved by one other striker uh, in the Premier League since Diego by Chelsea, uh, Chelsea since Diego Costa, and that was Tammy Abraham, obviously quite yeah. interesting comparing, you know, Tammy Abraham was also, you know, viewed... Pretty, pretty similar, ungainly. actually, pretty similar. Yeah, viewed ungainly and viewed sort of like, oh, he's not good enough, etc. Um, I said, sorry, I've, I've gone long-winded point just to get your thoughts here, but yeah, Nicholas Jackson, thoughts? No, I mean, that that is my thoughts. That was my... The thing that sparked me tweeting about it yesterday was I saw a tweet, and I think it was from Louis, um, and he tweeted, uh, Nicholas Jackson has to be the worst top scorer like in Chelsea history or something. And, and and I replied, and I said, but Chelsea haven't had someone scoring goals at this rate since 2019. You can't belittle what Jackson's doing because nobody else has done it since or before. 
Um, just to add on as well, Jackson is almost certainly, you would imagine, going to overtake Mason Mount's uh, 11 goals, was it, in 21-22 as well? Um, so he is going to be, if not the top scorer since Diego Costa, he's going to be the second top scorer since Diego Costa in the Premier League season for Chelsea. He's 22 and has been playing at striker in 2023 alone, and that's basically it. He, he He's pretty good value for money, by the way. It's noticeable that actually of all the players on the pitch yesterday, Gallagher, free, or, you know, academy. Buddy Ashiel, I thought was excellent. He's sort of your 30 to 35 million pound range. Jackson, you sort of 30 million pound range. Like that, that is, that is good recruitment to an extent. Is Jackson your archetypal Chelsea striker? No, but he is going to outscore Romelu Lukaku, who was a hundred million pounds worth of striker. Now, again, this isn't a benchmark that we're looking for, but, and it's going to be a big Pochettinoism. This is the reality. This is where Chelsea are. This is what Chelsea have been doing and the level that they have been performing at. Jorginho has been Chelsea's top scorer in recent years. Like, do we, are we forgetting that? He, he, he's, I find criticism of Jackson really quite strange because right now Chelsea don't have anybody else doing it. And he is showing so many positive signs. Yeah, rough edges, but so many positive signs in the way that he presses and he's learning every single day. And this is, I don't want to make a jump here, but Pochettino's biggest coaching feat was Harry Kane and possibly Deli Alley. And Harry Kane was pretty, a little bit of a nobody when he started out at Tottenham. And Pochettino's just got a track record for this sort of thing. Um, he, he's a big reason. I think we expected Breuer to do a bit more under Pochettino so far. Jackson is, as you say, the encapsulation of this Chelsea team. He's somebody that could go on to be a 2025 a season strike, goal a season striker in the Premier League and prove to be everything that Bowley Clearlake wanted from their under-23 recruitment drive. Or he could sort of potentially not be that and he could max out at like a 10 to 15 goal a season striker but at which point he's still Chelsea's probably best striker since Tammy Abraham which is which is remarkable for the money they've spent on attackers he's probably Chelsea's most consistent attacker since Mason Mount maybe um I I know why people criticize him because he, he is not what you associate with Chelsea strikers but what you associate with Chelsea strikers is is now out of date by a solid, well, really seven years. And this is the whole sort of complex that Chelsea fans and people have of Chelsea of saying, oh, but this isn't Chelsea standards. But, but look where Chelsea have been since 2017. It, it's not been good. So, yeah, I can get behind Nicholas Jackson. I can get behind his mistakes. And there were a lot of people in the first half tweeting, well, Nicholas Jackson just isn't good enough. I said it before, I've said it again. I'm like, but but you're saying he's not good enough. What is he not good enough at? Because he's getting better at link-up play. He's scoring different types of goals, by the way. He's scoring tap-ins. He's at the back post. He was there for the rebound against Manchester City. He's good, pretty good on the ball. He needs to learn the final pass, but that will come from playing at striker. He's quick. He presses well. And he is sort of prone to going on these streaks. I've been really impressed with him and I like him a lot. And I I don't buy and have not bought this. We need a new striker in January 
because it looks like it's not going to be Ivan Tony and it's not going to be Victor Ossiman. So who else are you signing that you are convinced is going to be better than Nicholas Jackson straight away? And is it going to prove to be value for money? I'm not sure there's a player out there. I'm a massive, massive fan of Nicholas Jackson. And I think Chelsea have to, I think they are, they, they, they're going to stick by him. And, and I really hope he starts to win people over and this sort of, how he is viewed can, can really start to change. Because he's the sort of player that fans can really get behind with a bit of hassle and a bit of passion. And I really like that about a player. I really like that about a player. Yeah, yeah. That's it. That's it. Who knows if he will be good enough for Chelsea? Like, we don't know, but he's had like half a season in the Premier League and he's doing all right. He's doing fine. Like, I'm like he's goals wise, I'm like I'm happy with the goal the goal contributions. As I said, he is rough. He will frustrate. Obviously, I think that he's probably ill discipline is probably something that maybe goes against him with fans just because it is so petty at times and so frustrating. There was a period I think in mid October where he was averaging a goal or a yellow card per like seventy five minutes, which is just funny because they were level. He had as many goals as he had yellow cards, and to be and honest, yeah, that's probably equal still, again now. Yeah, it is seven goals, seven yellow cards this season, but. This is the thing. Obviously, I said, and striker. Obviously, I would have probably liked Chelsea to get a senior striker, but as you said, Aussie men is now, you know, that's probably gone. Tony favouring Arsenal. And you do, I guess, one of it, as I said, as I said before, the beauty of Tammy was that he also had Giroud in 1920 when he did struggle and needed some time out mm. to help with that. Unfortunately, right now, Jackson doesn't quite have that with Armando Broyer. You know, obviously, we see, and I'll, but I'll get on to Armando a bit later. But yeah, like, I said, I don't know how good he is in terms of as an overall player or if he will be good enough for where Chelsea want to be, but he's basically doing better than what I've seen up front for Chelsea for the last few years. And Chelsea was more successful in that time. As I said, I think the reason he also probably gets some sticky, he's playing in a worse Chelsea team than other teams. I feel that he's had shorter patience with fans than, say, a Timo Werner or even a Kai Havertz, who were playing in better Chelsea teams and were more established and more talented, more probably at that point, well-rounded players than them. Now, obviously, we I'm not going to get into a whole argument about Chelsea and their positioning play of, of Havertz and to an extent Werner, but it does feel that they were afforded more time. Like, and Jackson, he's basically battling questions like every single week, whereas those two, I did feel were given more time. And they're in a better team, so maybe that's just something that goes against Jackson, the fact that there's more pressure on him because of the state of Chelsea, that he's, there's more burden on him, more expectation to, to do the job. But then he also cost us 35 mil people, like and I know you shouldn't really judge football players on prices, but when you cost 35 mil compared to something like compared to 70 mil or 80 mil, I am probably going to be a bit more lenient. He, he was, he, that's probably slightly unfair to judge players, but because they don't pick their price. But like 35 mil, you've got seven Premier Leagues. If he 35 mil get if he was a 15 goal a season striker for 35 mil, you'd be quite happy with that. And you just hope that a Chelsea team firing around him was all good. You wouldn't really have that many complaints. You don't get very much for thirty-five million pounds, thirty-five million pounds anymore in the Premier League, and seven goals by, or you know what could he could realistically be at eight, maybe nine, um, halfway through the season, and I think that would surprise a lot of people. Um, I know at the beginning of the season there were a lot. He had a really good preseason. There was a lot of excitement. People were tipping him to be sort of like, uh, sort of gem of the season, underrated player of the season. And I think it's basically right. He's basically been what a lot of people expected to, him to be. Inconsistent. You don't know what you're going to get from him. He's not necessarily reliable. But he's quite exciting. And as you say, and we've kept on saying, for where Chelsea are right now, he is, he's not perfect, but he is, he is what you would expect Chelsea striker to be right now, right? Um, and 
that's sort of okay. In a couple of years, if Chelsea kick on loads and he hasn't kicked on loads, well, you, the chances are you're still going to have got your value for money worth. And the chances are he's still going to be a solid enough sort of team player. I find it really, really hard and criticism of Nicholas Jackson on a, he's not good enough, we need to get rid of him, we need to get another main striker in is uh, frustrating to me. But, uh, you know, that's that's the world we live in. Yeah, no, so, as I said, in an ideal world, I would have loved him to have like a senior strike partner to lean on and learn from experience-wise. But that's not the case. And he's, yeah, he's doing, he's doing all right. And also, Tom, this has all been done without Christopher Nkunku, who he played with in pre-season as well. And I, you know, I don't want to sort of, you know, come and say Christopher Nkuku is the savior of his team because I already feel that he's being people are already placing unfair expectations of players off the back of a a serious injury who was off the back not too long before of another serious injury as well. But you know, it does say Jackson has done this without, yeah, he has done this without without Nkunku, who was you know meant to be who was that you know big big attacking signing that was made in the summer. So yeah, no, he's doing he's doing he's doing all right. And Chelsea went to know and. Tom, as you say, quite... before we go on to these questions, oh, it was also a clean sheet for Chelsea, which was nice. Yeah, that yes, doesn't happen. United. <laughs> yes, it's Sheffield United who are a poor team, who don't have much attacking threat. Was that but the Chelsea third... been... that... four, four, oh, Sorry, fourth, fourth clean sheet of the season, and the highest in the table is currently Fulham in 11th, and then it's Bournemouth in 14th, and it's Luton 18th, and Sheffield United in 20th, so it's like... Chelsea don't keep clean sheets at the moment. They, they, and that was sort of the thing in the first half. Chelsea were good in the defensive third, but poor in the sort of final third. Chelsea have been good in the middle of the park for most of the season, but poor in either box. And I think yesterday, when Chelsea did go into the final third, they scored the chances that they had, Breuer aside, and they kept out what little attack Sheffield United did make, just solid enough, basically. Yeah, and that comes down to Baddy Shield, who said, "I thought that was his certainly his best game back since since returning from injury." And he's go, "It was nice for Petrovic. He didn't have much to do. You're not going to really judge him for that, but he was, you know, he was fine. It was, you know, he he passed whatever test. It was very low boundaries, low grade boundaries, etc. But he did, he did the job. And yeah, Chelsea won two 0 And they said it, it was job done. It was, it was fine. It was not the best Chelsea performance this season. It was nowhere near the worst. It was." It was fine. It was middling, and it was nice for a middling performance from Chelsea. was was able to result in a comfortable, comfortable victory. You know that's something. You know a performance. If you saw that under Chelsea teams of old, you just be like, right, sound. That's good. We can just play, play in second gear. And it did feel that Chelsea didn't really have to go through the gears too much in that that game either. And they did leave stuff out there. Um, right. I think that's basically all we need to talk about the game. Um, yeah. So I will go on to listener questions. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. First question comes in from Jam. Where do you think the minimum place Chelsea should finish in the Premier League is? Oh, Tom, quickly, before I go, before I move on to that, I just did check. Uh, people who remember the start of the season, Tom made the prediction that Mikhailo Mudrik would have a, would outdo Marcus Rashford. Well, at the moment in time, two goals. They're both on two goals, one assist in the Premier League. So, Tom, that prediction is still, it's on. It's still, it's still very much on. Anyway, um, where Mark, do you think the minimum place... We don't talk about my other predictions, which I think were unbeaten at home and a really good defensive record. Um, so, yeah, we don't talk about those, but... We'll keep the Madrid one. It's all good. Um, anyway, so, Jam's question. Where do you think Chelsea should would, should uh, finish in Premier League this season? Obviously, at the time recording, we are... Um, tenth. tenth. Obviously, I said... Uh, yeah, we are we are tenth. I said there would be... Um, we are one point ahead of Fulham in 11th, three ahead of Brentford in 12th, who play Aston Villa later today. Obviously, Bournemouth could have gone potentially level with us yesterday. Their game got, got abandoned. Um, scary scenes there. All the best to everyone at Luton and Tom Lockyer. Uh, but, Tom, Chelsea are 10th. They're two points behind West Ham in 9th. I'm sorry, side point. West Ham on the TV again for like the third, first straight Sunday in a row. <laughs> it's like, I feel, side point, side point, I'm tangent. I feel Sky's TV picks have genuinely been horrendous this year. Did you, did you see the tweet yesterday about, like, if ever was a day to get Christmas shopping done, this is it? Because the, set, the Saturday televised game was Burnley-Everton. That was the only televised yeah. game. Yesterday was not a good day of football, by the way, just in general. I mean, yeah, OK, the 12.30 was the North London Derby, the women's North London Derby, which was a really fun game to watch. And actually the, the Ipswich-Norwich game as well. It just, it, it wasn't, it wasn't your typical winter period Premier League weekend. And it was quite disappointing. We had our... Cricket Christmas social yesterday, and sort of it got to like three o'clock, and I was like, "Oh, right." So should we go to the pub to watch the late? Get- oh no, it's Everton Burnley. Right, we'll see you. We'll see you at the place at uh, seven thirty. Then we just we'll, we'll skip out watching the late game because there's absolutely no point. Yeah, it's it, it, it's not been great, has it? No. But it's all right. Yeah, in a, in a couple of years' time, we'll be able to watch every single game ever. Football. Yeah. We'll love it. We'll love it. But yeah, the David David Mitchell sketch coming to to true life. Anyway, sorry. Back to Jam. Jam. Sorry, back to your point. We just went on a tangent there because uh, I got talking about West Ham because they're on. They play later today. Where do you think the minimum place Chelsea should finish in Premier League is? Tom, uh, I'll be honest. I think tenth is probably the minimum place Chelsea should finish, and I reckon we could probably. F- I but I reckon there's the scope for Chelsea to finish anywhere probably between twelfth and eighth, maybe seventh. Right now, like. Uh, uh, uh. It's just based on what I've watched of Chelsea. With the caveat of if Chelsea can put a run of form together, but that is quite a big caveat, seeing there's basically there is no evidence of Chelsea doing this, but under Poch this season, really, and, you know, prior. Yeah, it's it's quite a tough one to predict. Um, I would like to think Chelsea should finish above 10th, but I think anything above 8th would be impressive because I think they could probably finish above Manchester United. However, there's just a lot of teams in there that are sort of solid enough. Like, could Chelsea get up towards sixth? No, realistically not. I don't think that's so. Newcastle are going to be without European football for the second half of the season, obviously. So are Chelsea. They're just a better team. Um, Manchester United aren't. They're just lucky 
Brighton. It's really, really tough. There's a lot of teams in that part of the uh, table. What I said at the start of the season is I want this team to be competitive and I want it to be competing. Can it be in and around that conversation? I wanted that conversation to be 5th, 6th, 7th. And I thought it could be 5th, 6th, 7th this season. Now I'm thinking it probably has to be 8th. Can Chelsea be fighting in and around the 8th place come the end of the season? Yeah, I think that is realistic. You don't know what you're going to get, really. Chelsea started the season really badly, obviously. Um, And you would think that as this team grows, if we don't do something completely ridiculous in January and players do start to slowly come back, and as when you say players, I mean, you're basically looking at Nkunku, Ugachukwu maybe, um, Chilwell, hopefully at some point ever, uh, Lavia coming back into the mix. That's basically the extent of it. James isn't going to be back for a while, if at all, neither Safana. I would like to think that there is a chance that Chelsea can keep this sort of consistency. And I think that is sort of going back to the selection yesterday. Why Pochettino is doing this, he's trying to build this foundation for stability where you know what you're going to get from Chelsea yesterday. Um, it's not potentially going to be as exciting, but I think Chelsea need to get to a level where you do sort of turn up and think, right, they're going to play this 4 2 3 1. And this is what they're going to do. And there was the period, obviously, over October where it was really, really, really exciting and games were end-to-end. But it was like, you you can't quite predict what's going to happen. So then when something slightly goes wrong and it's Brentford or it's Newcastle or it's Manchester United, that's when things really, really drop off. I don't think there's a minimum expectation on what makes this season good or bad for Chelsea. I think that's unfair. I think if you go into this and say, if Chelsea don't finish eighth or don't finish ninth, don't finish seventh, and it's a disappointing season. I think it has to be about what realistic progress you see on the pitch. And again, it's a low, low benchmark and everything has changed. And Chelsea has spent a lot of money and you'd expect more from Pochettino. But can Chelsea score more goals, potentially concede less goals, win more games, and look like they're actually building something this season as opposed to last season? And I think we've already seen that. On the most part, I said throughout last season, I would rather watch a team that was actually building towards something and being inconsistent and pretty poor than just looking like a complete mess on and off the pitch without anything to sort of build towards. At least with this group, you know that Chelsea are trying to get somewhere. Now, it's not pretty. It's not clean. And you're never quite sure how it is going to pan out moving forward. But. From an absolute low-level base point, that is a better place to move forward with than what Chelsea had last season. And I wouldn't want to put down this season's sort of progress marker on just a league placing. I think it has to be about much more than that. And you know what? We could have a Carabao Cup run as well. The FA Cup's going to be really important. And I don't think you can quite underestimate that either, just as just a sign to go, yeah, actually, we're sort of competing. We're sort of getting better. Because on Chelsea's day, they can beat anyone in the league. On Chelsea's day, they can lose to anyone in the league. So if they can find a bit of consistency in the cup and compete around that eighth place, then I think that's that's a solid enough season because Chelsea finished 12th last year and turned over half their squad and they now have a really young squad. Teams don't do this. If Chelsea can get to eighth, that would be pretty impressive. 
That's what I think. What do you think? This, this, I'm, no, I'm just thinking, you use the word, if Chelsea get a pretty impressive, like, I'm just thinking that phrase, just, I'm just thinking people are going to be like, standard, standard, we've spent a billion pounds. And but, Yeah, yeah, Jam, honestly, I'm just looking at it, because, and I'll be honest, at the start of the season, I basically just underestimated Unai Emery and Aston Villa. <laughs> My predictions, I was, I, I was guilty of underestimating, I was guilty of underestimating Tottenham under Ange Postecoglou yeah. and losing Harry Kane. Like, that's why I had Chelsea sixth. Because I had in my predictions, I had Chelsea above, above those teams. I definitely um, thought Man United would be above Tottenham and Aston Villa. Yeah, I, said, I did. Although I did say I'm pretty sure I did make the caveat that if there's one team to fall out, it would be United, just because that's their general pattern of how they do things. But yeah, Jam for me, it does also come down to like the Premier League place. I can live with a say a tenth place finish or whatever if Chelsea win a say if Chelsea win a domestic cup, right? Because that also then presents a pathway into Europe. And Tom's side point, Carabao Cup midweek, I think, I, I mean, I don't think it's a big same say. It's obviously Chelsea's biggest game of the season so far. You look at the draw, there's still some good teams left in it. And I think we'd look, say, Liverpool are the overwhelming favourites right now to win that competition. But you never know. Klopp sometimes doesn't, you know, rests his team. You know, there's always the opportunity against him before you get to sort of maybe the semi-final or final. But he sometimes doesn't take it too too seriously. But, I mean, that is a, a big game because I feel that this is, you know, Poch, obviously a Poch should, if we not got the result yesterday, I, I dread to think what social media would have been like. Uh, so we got, you know, we get to enjoy some positivity for a few years, but I do think it's kind of crucial that like this game is big because it is important for Chelsea fans do have something to look forward to after mm. Christmas. Well, obviously the FA Cup starts in January. We've got Preston North End in the, the third round of that. Can't com- complain there. But it is, the Carabao Cup midweek is huge because I think it is important that Chelsea season has life because essentially last season Chelsea season had basically no life I mean they went out both domestic cups of the first round opportunity and then the Champions League there was you know a night against Dortmund to to give you hope and going oh maybe if we end up on that side of the draw but it was too you know too many too many things needing to work out um but to really to really to really go anywhere but yeah Tuesday anyway long again long-winded way of getting to the question Tuesday is massive isn't it yeah, and I think actually not to not it doesn't particularly bother me, but getting to having a nice cup run and showing get winning a trophy with this team with this young team that haven't done it, or at least getting to a semi final or final and being amongst that group, you then go well Chelsea are back to competing on that level something they haven't Chelsea the last couple of years have been cup specialists right and league average. League special me- with an impressive record of losing cup finals. Yeah, league mediocrity. Um, if you lose the league and you lose the cup, well, really, what do Chelsea have? Pochettino, there's a lot of questions over him not winning trophies. He never did it at Tottenham, right? Uh, lost the Carabao Cup final to Chelsea 2014-15. Lost the FA Cup semi-final 16-17. If, if there is this looming question over Pochettino over whether he can win trophies, I don't know if winning the Carabao Cup would change that for a lot of Chelsea fans. But it is something that Chelsea fans just haven't had for a while. Um, yeah, that game is big. Because if you lose to Newcastle again in this state with their injuries in a game that is this big, I think the questions, they just resurface. And you look at the run that Chelsea have got after this. Wolves, Crystal Palace, Luton, Preston, Fulham. Winnable, winnable games. Because then it gets a bit harder. Liverpool, Wolves Palace, Man City, Tottenham, Brentford, Newcastle, Arsenal. Like... That happens again. The Premier League is tough. Chelsea are not consistent. This has to be the period where 
they pick up points and go on a run. And beating Newcastle, Stamford Bridge will be ready for it. I know it's a midweek game and I know people were complaining about the atmosphere yesterday. I truly believe Stamford Bridge will be well up for that game because this is genuinely quite important um, to Chelsea right now. It really is. Yeah, no, no, indeed. And I said that's, you know, the quarterfinals, then all of a sudden, and you look at the still, you look at some of the teams um, sort of left in the Carabao Cup, you know, there's Port Vale Middlesbrough still in the draw. If you get, if you think, if you get one of them in a semi final, you know, you, you, you're delighted. Obviously, all of a sudden, Everton, Everton against Fulham, Everton seems like quite a scary prospect. <laughs> At Everton Goodison. Just, Don't take yeah. us back to Goodison. I thought we were done. But uh, but no, but I said in Liverpool, West Ham. I mean, who knows? West Ham and Moyes could maybe maybe pull something off off there. Who knows? But so yeah, there's the, there's a the chance there, and that's why it's massive. Um, so talking at the other end of the scale, a similar related question: Travis Haas, relegation no longer an option. <laughs> we're only you, halfway you, there. Like <laughs> we, we we're twenty two points, so we're about eighteen points away from a magic forty point mark. Although I would be stunned if forty points is required to keep you on the Premier League this year. I reckon yeah. this you're honestly looking at probably like a record low, like points total i reckon 32 it, or something it genuinely Maybe could be like 30 will, yeah will, will be enough and we're 13 points clear of luton you obviously have the game abandoned yesterday as we we've already said so yeah yeah travis i think you know we can we can breathe you know we can you know breathe easy if we'd lost then all of a sudden sheffield united would have been you know only eight points behind us and we'd have luton all of a sudden that's looking like a relegation six points potentially well easily you can spin that narrative uh so no no we, we are we are safe um there Next questions I'm going to sort of combine because they're fairly similar. First one comes in from RJ. Hey, lads, solid performance and a much-needed win. What did you make of the starting eleven and Pochettino's use of Benz, including when he turned to them? And Jess asks, uh, could we have managed the subs better? So I'll get onto the subs bit first. Tom, what did you make of the starting eleven? Because obviously that is where people drew, you know, they were not, people saw the lineup going, four centre-backs, not play against Fernandez, Poch. What are you doing? But I think, as you've said earlier, Chelsea still have the players on the pitch, and you know, to win that game without while playing that team, and they showed that they could do it. Um, it was an interesting team. I'll be honest. There was a point at half time when I'm thinking, God, I really wouldn't mind seeing Ian Martin on this pitch, you know, because I thought, you know, our wingers were giving their fullbacks some problems. They weren't, you know, they weren't exactly challenged by their fullbacks. Their fullbacks weren't actually shutting them down. There's nothing. Cough. They've got an actual natural fullback sort of overlap. Maybe we could we could get a bit more joy. Um, but just thought I had no issue with Enzo Fernandez being benched, and we'll get onto the subs. I actually think you know I was a bit disappointed he came on, but then I guess there's not really loads of other options on the bench, and Chelsea are still fragile, and he still wanted to see out a lead. But anyway, just thoughts on the starting eleven like yesterday, yeah, and and then I guess we'll get onto the subs question. I had I had quite the debate as I have done for much of this season with Jam um, over the starting eleven. He was not happy. Um, with four centre-backs and no Enzo Fernandez against a low block. And my point was very much, if we need Enzo Fernandez to beat um, Sheffield United, I think we're in more trouble than we think we are. Um, no, I, I didn't have a problem with it either. I was actually quite a fan of the lineup. I don't mind the four centre-back thing at the moment, because if you're looking to change it, you would be bringing Gusto, who is half-fit, why? What is the point? There is no benefit to starting him and losing him when you think James is going to be out for three months here. Um, and I mean, Martin... News flashes for the last episode, folks. Reese James's injury is uh, worse than we first feared, and he's going to miss a, ser- a serious period of time. Anyway, continue, Tom. No, that's all good. Um, that actually sounded like it could have been cut in as well, like you like you inserted that at the end of the podcast, which was quite smooth. Um, 
And Ian Martin's just not a left back. I, 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 I don't necessarily agree with it. Pochettino clearly, clearly doesn't see him as a left back. He didn't come on as a left back yesterday, did he? He came on again on the right wing. Um, people have been calling for experience all season. And if you're, if what you really want is to bring on Ian Martin at left back instead of Levi Colwell, um, then that that's your play to get more experience in the team. Then questions. I don't think Ian Martin changes the flow of that first half at all especially not playing with Mikhail and Mudrick, by the way. That is a death trap for any fullback right now. You do not know what you're going to get. Do you, Pochettino right now, as I said before, is all about trying to control what can be controlled and trying to build a stable base. Why do you think he played Ben Chilwell at left wing for the start of the season? Because you don't know what Mikhail Mudrick is ever going to do. You don't know what he's going to do. Is it more exciting? Yes, maybe, but it's also infuriating. And it's also the absolute last thing you ever want when you're in a team that's not consistent and reliable. I'm sorry, but I don't buy this thing. If you want Ian Matson, who has played about four minutes of Premier League football in his life, and Michaela Mudrick on the left-hand side, then I, I just that to me isn't that to me isn't sensible. And I think what Pochettino is doing is being, yes, it's defensive. Yes, it's a little bit pragmatic. Yes, it might be boring, but it got a clean sheet yesterday and it and it worked. And I, I just don't think it's that deep. Enzo Fernandez, as I said, he's not been great in recent weeks. I think the, the general overreaction to Enzo Fernandez has been barbaric, by the way. He's been absolutely fine and he's been pretty important. And there were stages yesterday where I did actually think Chelsea could do with a third midfielder just to help them play through the lines because there wasn't too much going into the central areas, into Jackson. And I thought that's where Fernandez would be useful. But he has had another, what, 45, 60 minute rest ahead of Newcastle. This guy starts every single game for every team he's played for. He needs a rest. He's 22 years old. He has clearly not been at his best in recent weeks. I'm I really. You could just do. I Tom, just that for you. That 22 year old needs. I feel that's just applicable, not just for football, but just in general life. People need a rest. That. People need a rest. Yes. By the way, yeah, take a rest. Look after yourself. Um, <laughs> I just and and. You sort of come out of this game and there were a lot of questions at half time. There were a lot of questions about Pochettino at full time. I was speaking to Jam at, at, at the break and he was saying, well, did you not see the team? Did you not know this was going to happen? I said, yes, but just chill. We're halfway through the game. This can still change. And it did change. And then you come out of it and you go, OK, so Nkunku has got another couple of days rest before he plays. Gusto, he's got more rest. Enzo Fernandez has been rested for 60 minutes. That's That all looks really positive now. There was a lot of doom fear mongering before the game with the lineup and I'm like just just wait until the game is done and then let's see what happens because when you're playing Sheffield United you shouldn't need Enzo Fernandez to break down a low block and Chelsea didn't need Enzo Fernandez to break down a low block whoop de doo chill out that's the, like honestly I was very very vexed as you can tell by the sort of reaction to that team yesterday I was like what options the Chelsea really have because I said, I've spent a lot of the last couple of years saying we should play in Martin, we should play in Martin, we should rely on Ian Martin. And people were saying, no, 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 we, no, we can't do it. We can't do it. He's not experienced enough. He's not at a good enough level. And now when you're in the middle of a terrible run, you want to bring him in having not played all season. No, no, I'm sorry. I'm not having it. He's also tiny and we need people that can jump and win headers.
I'll go on to the second part of RJ's question and Jess's question. Uh, the use of the substitutions. Um, Tom, obviously, I guess, and yeah, could we use substitutions, could we manage ourselves better? Now, I guess this could be interpreted two ways. Christopher Nkunku was on the bench. I feel that Chelsea, we've basically just seen more of Christopher Nkunku just on social media and trading pictures than we have than we have on and we have on the football pitch. So I understand better. The question, could Chelsea subs have been used better? I'll be honest, apart from the 90th minute subs, I quite like the two of the four he made. Like, I get, you know, in an ideal world, Enzo Fernandez can just see that game out and on bench, maybe in an ideal world if Ugochukwu was there. But also, Chelsea 2-0 up and he probably just wants to see the game out there. You know, help see the game. Certainly, for, I like Broyer for Sterling. I like that one because you know we had two we had two men sort of up top, and I thought Broyer when Jackson's way at Afcon, Broyer's going to need you know Broyer needs, and this was an opportunity to try and get him some confidence, get him a goal, and we did our best to get him a goal, and he just somehow <laughs> contrived to miss. I guess my frustration is sort of the ninety. Oh, I feel frustration, but I miss up Ian Martin for Cole Palmer. Just like okay, that's fine. That just feels like I'm not really. There's not really much analysis there. That's just Ian Martin coming on late on. Has he got much of a future at Chelsea? Unfortunately, I don't think so. And then Malagusta comes on for Jackson. Malagusta comes on for Jackson, which again is interesting. I guess Tom, there's two ways looking at it. One, there is obviously um, Matos Matos on the bench. We saw him come on late against Fulham. Maybe that's an opportunity. You tune up the game's dead. Maybe that's a sub you can make there and Poch. You know, again, just simple, simple, but show to be academy players. Okay, you know, you and the squad will give you an opportunity. I guess maybe that's one grab. I have, I have zero grab with Christopher Nkunku not coming on. Like, I feel if you're going to bring him on, you give him 15, 20 minutes. And obviously they decided, no, we're not going to do that. So if any, like, any less than that kind of feels a bit redundant because he's just on a hiding to nothing anyway at that point. And again, the side point, I'm also thinking, is Sheffield United? Yes, they're a bit more open, maybe. Yes, he might get chances, but I'm also thinking, do you really want a playoff back of a serious injury against a, a more physical side like Sheffield United? I get some frustration maybe with the subs, but I'm not really. And again, we've won two nil. Like I'm kind of wary of being too critical on subs. But your thoughts on the subs that took place? I get that maybe some things could have maybe been done a little bit differently. But I'm, you know, I'm not going to really moan but about not seeing Christopher Nkunku. I don't, you know, think it's a big deal not seeing Christopher Nkunku. If if I hadn't gone on social media after the game or during the end of the game, I would not have had the substitutions down to speak about. Put it that way. That like that 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 is. If people hadn't asked the question, I wouldn't be here bringing up the subs with you. Um, I think it's a whole lot of nothing. Um, I think in general, Pochettino has been pretty good with subs largely throughout the season. I think you have to give him a lot of credit for. At halftime, he made the change which effectively won Chelsea the game. Uh, yeah, sure. I would like maybe Martin to get more more minutes. I mean, you look at the bench, two goalkeepers. That that's got to stop, right? Like, I'm not. I don't like that. That annoys me. Yeah, we're not on the Champions League, Poch. We're not on the Champions League where you have this. You need to have two keepers on the bench. That the that frame. that does annoy me. Um, but really, like off the bench, yeah, okay. Alex Matos. It would be nice to get him some more minutes. Alfie Gilchrist. Yeah. Hasn't made a Premier League appearance for Chelsea as as, as he made his debut. I don't think he has. Be nice to get him on the pitch. However, and I don't want to be too pragmatic and too defensive, and it really shouldn't matter against Sheffield United. And people will say, oh, it's a lack of balls or whatever it is. It's a control thing. It's a balance thing. If he brings on Matos, Martson, Gilchrist, or anyone else you might want to bring on earlier, and Chelsea concede, and there's five, ten minutes to go, and all of a sudden you've got this core of players that just haven't played and this stadium that is 
packing its pants because this is what Chelsea do, and Chelsea then lose or draw, how bad does that look? I think, can we just win a game 2-0 at home against a relegation side without slamming every single area of a performance? I think this is over-analysis of something that, to me, just doesn't really matter. Yeah, if there was a chance to bring on an academy player, this would have been it. Would you have loved to have seen Leo Castledine on the bench and coming on? Yeah, absolutely you would. But okay, it hasn't happened yet. This is this is a guy, as I've said throughout the whole episode, who is putting the team very much before him personally. He's trying to build the team almost quite unselfishly. And if selfishly he brings on a few more experienced players and the players that he trusts the most, I think that's okay. I don't think we have to make that a big, big deal right now. Um, if Pochettino in two or three years' time has done no work to bring through any academy players at Chelsea, which I don't think is going to be the case because he values it really highly, then you start asking questions. But right now, this was a position where if Chelsea lose this game or don't win this game, people would want him to go. And I'm not just talking about freaks on social media. I'm talking about people would be actively pushing for him to go and and, and lose his job. So... Sorry that he didn't bring on a couple of academy players or younger players, or sorry that he brought on Enzo Fernandez to see out the game because he wanted to because he wanted to ensure the game. I've got no problem with Nkunku. I've got no problem with Nkunku. I'd much rather take this slowly than do anything else. We spent a lot of time getting Badia Shield back to full fitness. We took a lot of time getting Reese James back to full fitness, and the same with Breuer. And look at them, like Lavia again. It has to be taken seriously because Chelsea's record of Reoccurring injuries is absolutely atrocious in recent years. You have to take it slowly. It doesn't matter. What are you going to see from seeing Nkunku come on the pitch? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. That's that's the same as running around a little bit of Cobham. What he was going to get in the last fifteen in the last fifteen minutes. Uh, yeah, uh, literally. The uh, only reason Nkunku's, you get fans go. You know, the fans maybe are a bit like happier. Potentially go happier something there. But he's, as I said, he's on a high into nothing. What are you hoping? Maybe he comes on and gets a goal. Okay. Great, but like, yeah, I'm not fussed. And if literally, this is the first time he's been named on the subs bench, right? So, like, again, like, I'm kind of okay with him not coming on. I don't think it need everything needs to be, as I said, drawn out. As I said, and I think, sorry, I also think in, in, we just looked at our fixtures coming up. We have got games, and we have got injured players, and players that aren't coming back. Unkunku is going to play in the next couple of weeks. He is going to play. He might play against Newcastle if circumstances, like show that, that 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 can be done. He might play against Luton. He might play against Palace. He might play at Wolves. He, he's going to play at some point. It doesn't particularly matter where or when it happens. Um, sorry, I know I interrupted you. You touched on Breuer. Um, he had two really nice moments. There was one on the left wing where he, Chelsea sort of counter-attacked and he just sprinted down the left-hand side really, really quickly. And I don't think anything particularly came of it. Chelsea probably could have scored. When he, when he wants to have a shot himself and he just goes behind for a corner, it's blocked for a corner. Yeah. And I thought that's really good because I felt bad for him at Everton last week because he's hardly played any football. And every single week, because of this sort of edge that Pochettino is on at the moment in sort of, oh, he's under pressure, he needs to be doing better. It's like, well, when is the chance to to start Breuer? Because Jackson is the better striker right now. He is the player that knows this team better. And there have been a lot of calls for Breuer over the last couple of weeks. And I'm like, I, I just do not see it. 
I don't see how that can benefit the team. But at some point, he does have to play. And I just struggle to see when that's going to be. Because if Chelsea do go into January and Jackson goes to AFCON and Breuer comes in and basically has to hit the ground running, having started three games this season, it's going to be really, really tough. Um, that's a really tough one to manage and one that I don't particularly envy. Um, so it was nice to see him come on, definitely. Yeah, no, indeed. And they said he also has that, you know, creates sort of that chance for Conor Gallagher, only for Conor Gallagher sort of to, to sort of stumble. And then he obviously has that miss. Yeah, look, as I said, in terms of subs, Enzo coming on for Mudrick has said, in an ideal world where more players are fit, Enzo gets a full rest, but he doesn't. That's okay. He's got 17-minute rest today. It's fine. Um, as I said, bro, you're saying, I like it because at some point you need to see. And also in terms of like, Batman, we had two strikers on the pitch, pitch folks. Like that's, his, that's to me... Granted, Enzo for Mudrick is a more defensive change, but Armando for Sterling, that's that's kind of an attacking change. And yeah, I said for subs, look, I guess if you're going to moan, then if the only the only little bit of moaning is the 90th minute subs when it's 2-0 and there's, what, three or four minutes at a time, then maybe in that moment, if you bring on Matos instead of one of those two, maybe if you can bring a Gilchrist on or someone like that, that's it. As I said, we saw Matos away, made his debut late on, against Fulham. I get it. There's some frustration. Obviously, I know for those who like Champion League Academy, there'll be frustration because they'll see, well, we want to see, a, you know, you know, this is a, this is the opportunity to do it. Yeah, okay, maybe it's a slight missed opportunity, but <clears throat> that's just what it is. It's a slight missed opportunity. And I don't think it needs to be anything more than that. And I said, there's pressure in the cup in January. There'll be, hopefully, be an opportunity there. There'll hopefully maybe some other opportunities maybe in some league games. You know, we don't need to rush it. And Chelsea are also a club that need results right now as well. They do, you know, they do need to to move up the table. Anyway, that's a long, we spent probably far too long on the said on a topic that I would, I was not really even thinking about. I said, the only talking about was the, was Nkunku not coming on yesterday. That's the only small talking point. But even then, I didn't think that was much a big deal. But anyway, we spent far too long on that. Final question or questions come from Dan Hill. Uh, yay, we won a game. Look at that, back into the top half. How crucial do you think Cole Palmer will be to Chelsea's future, both this season and beyond? How good is he? And where do you see him nailing down a spot on the team? And now, how can we use this swing as a win as a springboard? Okay, Tom. Cole Palmer, how crucial do you think he'll be to Chelsea's future both this season and beyond? And how good is he? And where do you see him nailing down a spot on the team? Because I said, I think I mentioned this, I was six goals, three assists. He is yeah, very. He is doing good things. And I said, and I say this to someone who was not that enthusiastic about the signing, I was saying, 40 million on a player who's barely played for Man City. No doubt he's a talented player, but I was thinking 40 million to, for a player to make sort of almost the main man of this Chelsea team. Well, fair play every single week, but near enough, he, he makes me, me bemoaning spending 40 million on him uh, look, Paul, but yeah, how crucial do you think he will be? Because as I said, it's easy to say now, but Chelsea selling Kai Havertz and Mason Mount to a lesser extent doesn't really seem to hurt right now. 40 million down the drain, Cole Palmer scores again, something like that. Um, yeah, no, very good, very important for Chelsea and very central to everything that Chelsea are going to be doing in the next couple of years. Really excited to see how Chelsea balance um, Palmer, Sterling, Jackson and Nkunku. Because I think, actually, just on a slight, slight tangent, what yesterday showed was that Gallagher and Caicedo can anchor a team together. And obviously, Enzo yes. is going to play. He is going to be key. But and Tom, before you go, mate. That was go, a mobile, mobile Caicedo, Because I feel we've not really talked enough about Caicedo on this podcast. He was outstanding yesterday. Yes, yeah, in Sheffield United, but he was outstanding. I, I always think, uh, I think Caicedo's been harshly done by, uh, harshly treated by a lot of Chelsea fans. People like I say, though, you, I think in general you won't notice when they have good games, um, and that's fine. You did notice him yesterday, but yesterday I thought he was he was really really good. Him and Gallagher 
were excellent. They ate the ground throughout the game. They were all over the shop. Um, haven't looked at the stats, don't need to. They were both excellent. And as I say, I think there was maybe in the first half, there was a bit of worry that they weren't quite progressing the ball into the right areas. Gallagher kept on appearing on the left side with Mudrick um, when Chelsea sort of had possession for a little bit longer. And um, Caicedo, again, I think in the first half, just didn't quite progress the ball as well as people would have liked, maybe at the sort of speed he would have liked. But I thought they were both excellent, and I don't really have anything else to say about them. But I really, really liked the fact that they those two could play next to each other, and you could realistically have a Palmer, Sterling, and Kunku Jackson, whatever it would be, quartet ahead of them. That that is exciting. That is a really, really good foundation, a really, really good team to build from. Um, that is sort of Chelsea in in peak flow mode with. Fernandez and Lavia still to come. That's that's exciting. That's what this sort of project is about. Um, what, what you hope to see. I was also quite um, uncertain about the Cole Palmer signing, not because of the player, but because of where he fitted in. Because of well, Chelsea have already got Sterling for the right wing. Martinson's already playing on the right wing. They've signed Madueke. They've signed Diego Moreira. They've signed Angelo Gabriel. Garni Chukwemeka right now. He's done. Garni Chukwemeka. My goodness me. Like yeah. How how does Chelsea fit everybody in? And I, I love, I really like Cole Palmer. I thought he was an excellent player, but I was just like, going, what, why? Like, really, why? Um, this is why. And I think some of the reports we've seen, Pochettino was a little bit like he wasn't pushing for this signing at all. Surprise, surprise, it was Joe Shields. Um, Cole Palmer's just brilliant. And I think you have what he's doing, forget his sort of age, but his actual experience level at the top level. He hasn't played many minutes. What has he played now? More minutes for Chelsea than he did for Man City in the Premier League. Like that, that is quite remarkable. Um, he is going to get so much better. I think his shooting and decision making around the box can be improved. Uh, he takes a lot of shots from further out, albeit his goal yesterday was a tap in. But around the box, I think there's going to be some more polish. Then again, he's got a really, really good left foot. And I thought in the first half, he got a lot of the ball to not really do too much with it. But then again, that was sort of Chelsea in the first half. Um, it was after the Brentford game um, where I thought Cole Palmer was genuinely excellent and Chelsea lost 2-0 and I not for his performance level but I compared it to Eden Hazard and I said that it was one of those performances where he didn't deserve to lose Cole Palmer he was comfortably the best probably probably the best player on the pitch some of the passes he were making were like one matter just dinking the ball in behind coming off the right with his left foot and I said that Cole Palmer doesn't deserve to lose and he is already basically better than this Chelsea team he's already showing a level of consistency and a level of quality that outstrips basically everything around him um yesterday I thought he was absolutely great in the second half I thought it was okay in the first still wouldn't have been the best player on the pitch but he is his 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 rate of growth and the way he is integrated into this team in such a short space of time has been immense and it is so so positive for what is to come at chelsea um but also let, let let's ease off on him and give him space to grow he's a 21 year old that hasn't played that much football it wouldn't be surprised if he went on a little period where he didn't particularly contribute so much but that would be massively the exception right now because everything we've seen suggests that he is going to be integral to Chelsea for the rest of the season. I just, I don't want people to jump on his back if, if that 
level drops off a little bit because it would only be natural. But he is a really, really good piece of business for Chelsea. And at a time when I think people were probably questioning it, and maybe rightly so. Yeah, no, indeed. Indeed. And they said, you know, that, that potential front four you mentioned is is very, yeah, tasty looking on paper. But as I said, with Chelsea, a lot of things are tasty looking on paper and we never they never see the light of day. So but I don't want to put a damp on it. We you know, no. let, let's let's live in that reality for now. Uh, and Dan's uh, final question. Now how can we use this win as a springboard? Oh, Tom. I don't I don't mean to put a damn on Dan's question, but I'm so like I feel like the start we mentioned, like what have we learned? Not a lot really. What does this win mean? Not a huge amount. That was a clean sheet. That was nice. Hopefully maybe that's something. It's not me meaning to just be, you know, down on Chelsea. It's just also the fact that it is Sheffield United. Like, it's not... I I don't know how... I mean, how we just win the Springboard. As we mentioned, there are decent fixtures coming up. Obviously, Newcastle and the Cup on, on, on Tuesday is tricky, but Wolves, Palace, Luton, Preston, Fulham coming up. You'd like to say that, you know, you're looking at five or six, you know, wins there. Five or six, five, six, six out of seven wins or something like that. But also, there's the evidence not really there. This Chelsea team, like, how can we use this wins as a springboard? Because I don't know because there's just not really much evidence of Chelsea using results to really put runs of form together. So I, I don't a, know how we use it as a springboard. I said a couple of weeks ago when Chelsea lost to Man United, if anything, that made. The chances are, uh, sorry, when they lost to Newcastle, I said, if anything, that makes me so much more confident that they would beat Brighton. Um, and I also said that there was absolutely no way that Chelsea beat Brighton, beat Man United and beat Everton all in the same week. Like that, that was just not going to happen. You, you, you know it. I mean, well, Chelsea's back-to-back league wins. I'm just having a look at them now. Um, it, has ha- it was Fulham and Burnley. And we in terms of back-to-back home games for the first guy, first time in the Premier League for ages, gonna, that, that's nice. I don't know when was the last some... time we won back-to-back home it, league games was. It was, but... it was something stupid. It, if it wasn't October 2022, it genuinely might have been something strange like October 2021. I, I saw it the other day. It might have been October 2022 it... when um, Tuchel's last Premier League game and then Potter's... Back, back-to-back game home games, like yeah, it, it was West Ham and then Wolves. So it was October. Yeah, so West Ham under Tuchel, and so this is the first time in a while under the same manager. Yeah, and then before that, it was January to March 2022 as well. So yeah, it doesn't happen that often. Um, I, I don't know how Chelsea can use this as a springboard, as you say. I, I think there wasn't too much to learn from yesterday. It was more of a just this is where Chelsea are. They can look pretty average. They can control games. Assignment. They can yeah. also look good and. Beneath all of this, there is a bubbling level of, oh, actually, maybe Chelsea can be quite good because that was the sort of performance that just sort of happens. You know, Chelsea beat Sheffield United 2-0 and and we move on and on to the next game. But right now, because Chelsea don't do that very often, it's it's a big thing. It's why we're analysing lots of different parts of a game that probably don't particularly need it. Uh, I don't know how Chelsea use this. If they beat Newcastle in midweek, Confidence will be really, really high. I think Wolves on Christmas Eve is going to be a really, really tough game. Um, yeah, it's it's Christmas Eve. That just like that's just it's a one o'clock kick for Christmas Eve. That that just reeks of, of ruined Christmas. You have ru- ruined your your, your Christmas. Um, 
I, like, but... I, I, I don't, I, I, and I mean, you've answered it. I don't know how Chelsea can use this as a springboard because it's not like Chelsea are just going to get better and more consistent overnight. It just isn't going to happen necessarily. And I mean, if anything, if you want to beat Wolves, the best way to do it is to lose to Newcastle because Chelsea, yeah. Chelsea, aren't, Chelsea don't win three games in a row. So it's almost a, like which game do you want to sacrifice in a in every three game run? Which one do you want to lose? Which one do you want I to win most? Because we'd all probably rather sacrifice Wolves than Newcastle. So if, if Chelsea can take a draw at Wolves and beat Newcastle, that is that's an, that's a brilliant week. That's four points in the league, albeit from probably six you should get. But when was the last time Chelsea Chelsea got like six points in a week? As I say, like they just don't they just yeah. don't win games. That also, often. in general, people won't realize we do actually have a pretty poor record against Wolves in the Premier League since they returned. We've won one game there, and that was under Frank when we don't won talk two. Yeah, and don't talk to me about Frank's game there last year. Like that that was that was horrid. That was not good. Yeah. Exactly. They said he undertook all the year before we had that uh, nil-nil where we couldn't really see a thing, which is probably probably actually better. The COVID better game. The... Yeah, but we had about 15 players. I was in France for that game, actually, and I'm going to be in France for this game. So I, I hope that doesn't condemn us to a, a, a Christmas Eve ball fest. You know what, though, Tom? I'd probably take a ball fest. I'd probably take a nil-nil ball fest against Wolves and move on. Um, I, 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 I would be that... very... No, Sorry. No, because after that, I was going to say, we have Crystal Palace, who we are on an insane record against. We've won something like 13 or 14 in a row against them ever since they um, beat us under... Uh, they beat us for their first win of the season in the 17-18 season. We have just had all of them. And also, they tend to be 1-0 wins and uh, quite late, leaving it quite late in some of them. Um, so we go back, and then Luton. But I said before in the pod last week, like Luton just reeks of them getting their first win of the season like against... They've been threatening against the big side, so I'm hoping it's not Chelsea there. And then, Fulham in January, who knows? They're they're just quite an odd team to really assess. Um, they looked pretty ordinary when we played them earlier on in the season. Uh, Fulham they did at home, ten in a week, and then got battered yesterday. So, Fulham at home feels like it could be just another two nil. Ah, oh, well, that was all right. That happened, and you sort of forget about it pretty quickly. But again, there there is very little evidence to suggest or to help with predictions right now, and. Uh, this is just something that will just have to come. And it would be, well, I wouldn't be surprised if Chelsea did something, I say I say silly, if Chelsea went with four, um, four centre-backs and a very, very similar team against Newcastle. Because the best way to build consistency and to get on a run and use it as a springboard is to have consistency in selection, have consistency in players. And that, that that's what Chelsea need to do right now. And that's what Pochettino is doing. It might not be the most inspiring, but really what do people actually want? You want to win games of football. And I think Pochettino is setting Chelsea up to try and do that in yeah, what is said, really testing circumstances. And I said, Tuesday, performance does not matter. It's knockout football. It's about the result. And I said, the Carabao Cup, you don't have to play well to all of a sudden find yourselves in the latest, latter stages. Yeah. You know, I mean, Chelsea's obviously best performance was, but I think this season was the 1 0 win against Brighton. Um, but, like, you know, against. Uh, Wimbledon and Blackburn, I, you know, obviously, well, Wimbledon wasn't televised, so you know, we we can't, you know, and if you were not there, you could not really speak speak to of it. But uh, you know, Chelsea not needed to really overexert themselves in the Carabao Cup, so yeah, I I, I would be really surprised if Chelsea didn't really turn up and play a good game against Newcastle. I, I expect that to be a really a really good game, and I think Chelsea will be right up for it. Agreed, agreed. I think you know, I think Tuesday we'll see you know a good performance from Chelsea, but that's enough to win. We'll have to wait and see, but I don't think you're going to see any a Chelsea turn in a performance like they did at St James's Park in the Premier League. Yeah. And I think you'll see 
comes out, I said, I'd be more worried about the Wolves game on Christmas Eve with, with Mines being elsewhere. And I think it's also Wolves, I said, Posh, Posh said at the time, it's, it's, his, it's his wedding anniversary, so he's obviously not going to be in best when he misses, <laughs> travels up for it on like, the day or something or something like that. It's around his, his, his wedding anniversary or something like that. But yeah, Dan, I said, there's an opportunity, Dan, and if Chelsea do put a run of form together and all of a sudden they shoot up the league table, then maybe expectations change again. But until Chelsea actually show any signs of how to, you know, use a win as a springboard, Dan. I don't know how to answer your question of how Chelsea use you use a win to, to, as, a, as a springboard. Um, but that's going to wrap it up for that Chelsea pod. That's, thank you for all your questions this week. It was nice. We got to discuss a Chelsea win for the first time in, in a little bit. And as I said, Tom, I mean, it could be worse. We could be a Manchester City pod. You know, Chelsea won twice as many Premier League games as Manchester City since the last international break. I was so... going to say we must be on a much, but we must be on a much better run. I've refrained from saying like Chelsea points in the past four weeks compared to Man City because it's... the thing is though, City have drawn. I reckon it's probably the same. The City yeah, have, but we, and City like... have won one, drawn four, and lost one. Yes. Oh, I can't remember that. That's pretty good from you. I can't remember. That. And we've, I know, and obviously we've lost to Newcastle, and yeah, we've lost to Newcastle United and Everton in that time. Yeah. Two wins against Brighton and Sheffield United and a draw against... Did we draw? When did we draw? And We've only drawn one draw game. Against... Oh, no, we haven't drawn one game this season. We've drawn three. Three? Four? Um, hang on. So, uh, since we draw against City, so we lost to Newcastle. Beat Brighton. Lost to Everton. Oh, no, so we... So, we, yeah, we've played five. Oh, yeah, so we've got six... We've got... So, we've played five and we've got... Six... Six points, one, two, lost three, and they've got like five points. They've won one, or they might even have the same. I don't know. Points, we've won twice. The, yeah, going off rails right at the end here, but we've won twice <laughs> in the Premier League games as Manchester City since um since we, you know, we drew four all with them on the 12th of November. So, yeah, who's the club in crisis, really, folks? Who's the, who's the club whose manager's under pressure? You don't hear this pressure on the prep people. He's what Potter's won twice as many. Premier League games as um, as Pep since the last international break. But anyway, we're really going silly now. So, I'm going to wrap it up. Uh, Thank you, Tom, for coming on. Uh, have a good Christmas. As I said, this will be the last time I see you on pod before Christmas. Tom will be, you know, he's he's off to France. Not not worst places to go for for Christmas, I suppose. Have a good time, mate. And I'm sure we will be in touch during that time, and then we'll get you on in the new year. But before you go, give yourself one last plug where people can find you and all your stuff. Thank you very much, mate. Actually, I, I didn't realise this until the other day when I was looking up uh, Benoit Badiashil, and the place that I fly into is is Limoges, and uh, that's where he was born. So. Uh, yeah, there you go. That's a little bit of trivia for you. Um, See, Tom, if you were if you were at the Athletic, you you know you you'd probably be like, oh, I, I went to Benoit Badi Shields' hometown and watched a gate, watched him play a game at his local like his local sports ground or like youth team or something. Incoming long read uh, on Benoit Badiashil and the tiny airport in his home city. Um, no, yeah, anyway. Uh, thank you very much for having me on, Nick. Really enjoyed that. And uh, I have no doubt Chelsea are going to ruin the festive period in the in the coming weeks. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, for my work, uh, at Tom Coley 49 on Twitter and all of my written work on football.london. And a Merry Christmas to you and a Happy New Year as well. And to, and to all the listeners. Indeed, indeed, listeners. There will be a pod on Tuesday, the 19th of December, or on Wednesday morning after the Newcastle game. But that will be the last pod till after Christmas because no sane man is recording a pod on Christmas Eve after they played Wolves and having the audacity to expect people to listen to it on Christmas Day or on, you know, later Christmas Eve. So Tuesday or the Newcastle game will be the last pod till, till after Christmas and we'll obviously combine Wolves and, and Palace into to one episode but anyway yeah if you've enjoyed the show you can listen to our you can find us on twitter or x at chelsea pod or on instagram at chelsea pod or on threads at chelsea pod i know who uses threads but we are still 
on there if you want to you come along. Um, we're on all usual podcast platforms, providers, Apple, Spotify, Google, etc. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please feel free to, to rate the show. You can do that on Spotify, rate five stars, or you can you know leave a review on, on Apple as well. Any feedback, any ratings are greatly appreciated. It helps boost us up there, help, helps us get out there to more to more people. Uh, if you enjoy the show and when I tweet the product and you'd like some reposts go a long way again, helps it spread the word there. Uh, if you want to get in touch with the show as well, obviously you can, obviously when I ask, but do put a tweet out normally near enough every week asking for questions, but also that chelseapod at gmail.com. If you've got any long winded or long, just want to send your thoughts in whatever, please feel free to do that there. I've opened an email up for the pod this season. Uh, but yeah, until the next episode, everybody keep a blue flag flying high. As the cliche goes, a win is a win. And for the first time in God knows how long, I've actually watched sat- Match of the Day on a Saturday night. Right. And also, while watching it, Newcastle picked up two more injuries. So that makes Tuesday even spicier now. Bring it on. Sports Social Podcast Network.